Good morning, family. How are we? Good. Uh, the stand, of course, got put all the way on the other side of the stage, so I got to run over here and do that. Uh, Karma, thank you so much for that incredible introduction, because I also admire you and hold you in the highest regard, uh, not only as a dear friend, but also as a co-laborer of Christ, as you are in the trenches, girl. So I'm just super honored to be your friend. Uh, like Karma said, uh, my name is Brady. I have the honor and privilege of being the campus pastor at CTK Downtown. And before we get going, I want to say a quick word of prayer uh, before we open up the scriptures together, and then we will continue on uh, service. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so please uh, pray with me. Lord, um, you are already here. You're already ministering. You're already moving. And so we just once more center our scattered senses upon you and your presence. So, Father, may we once more realign our hearts to your heart. Spirit, we don't give you part of the room. We give you the whole room. Come and do whatever you want to do to minister to your people, to care for your people. As you inhabit the praises of your people, may we praise you not only in our music, in our singing, in our worship, but even in our listening and learning and seeking and seeing what you're doing. And Jesus, may you be glorified, honored, praised. May your name be held above everything else today. May all attention come on you and you alone, King Jesus. And we, as the church, as the family of God, with one voice, say amen. All right, and before I get going, I heard a lot of hoops and hollers and amens while we were uh, singing, so I, I need a little bit of energy today, if that's okay. So, so you don't have to be quiet. This isn't like you don't have to be a church mouse. It's all good, all right? Uh, so today we are continuing our series entitled Flourish, you know, choosing connection in a withering world. This idea from John 15, what does it mean for us to stay connected to the vine, that, we, that Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, that when we disconnect from him, from busyness, from things that get in the way, from sin, that we begin to wither. But what God actually desires from us is our flourishing, is the full and abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And today I get the honor honor and privilege as we've looked at these different wells and how do we remain with Jesus uh, with these different spiritual practices, I get to talk about prayer. And to start our time, I want to look at one of probably the singular most famous passage on prayer, and I'm going to jump around in two different gospels uh, just to kind of set our minds and our hearts on what we're actually talking about. So first, Luke 11 says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This is my hope. This is my prayer for today, that we come with a posture, not to learn from me, not to be entertained by a sermon, but to say, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us how to commune and have a conversation with the Father like you continually do as John taught his disciples? Can, can we have that too? May we all step in with that posture of eager hunger to pray. And then Jesus, what I love is that as I am expectant that he will respond to our prayer, he responded to the disciples. And this is what he said. And it's a very famous passage, Matthew 6, verse 9, known as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This 
was Jesus's response when they asked, how do we pray? This is the model prayer, the Lord's prayer. And man, oh man, I have prayed this prayer thousands of times in my life, and I'm still mining the richness and the insights and the depth that this prayer holds. And so we're going to be looking at other prayers, other scriptures. You're going to get a lot of Bible today because I, I kind of like the Bible. It's kind of a big deal to me. Uh, but I want, I want this scripture, I want the Lord's Prayer to be our backdrop, to be our blueprint. That even if we aren't directly referencing, that everything's kind of coming back to what does Jesus show us in how we pray? Because I believe prayer is, out of all the spiritual practices in the Bible, I actually believe it is the lifeblood, the oxygen of the Christian. It is not only that, it is the lifeblood, the oxygen of the church, right? What did the Lord say? That his church would be a house of? Hey, there it is, right? Not a house of music, not a house of preaching, although those are good, biblical, awesome things. We are first and foremost a house of prayer. And at downtown, at CTK downtown, we believe that we heard a, Lord, a word from the Lord uh, this last year that we are in a time of prayer and preparation. We believe that renewal and revival is coming to the church in America. But here's the deal, family. If you look at history, every revival, every renewal was launched when the people of God were lit on fire for prayer. Prayers of expectancy, prayers of boldness, prayers of renewal, of hope, of vision, of healing, of reconciliation, of joy justice. That is the prayers of the people. So let's get some of that fire today, all right? All right. And I say all of that to say, I don't know about you, but at least for me, has anyone, like raise your hand, and we can be safe here. This is an honest place. Has anyone here ever believed, either continued to believe, or thought sometime in your life that prayer is super, super, super boring? Boop. Okay, well, I was about to say, there's some saints in here that are like, no, absolutely not. All right, fair enough. All right. I'm a pastor, and I still sometimes struggle with prayer being boring. I think a lot of my life, I had this idea in my head, and it had modeled to me as a kid, right? Like, okay, Jesus, thank you for my food. Okay, Jesus, before I let, you know, lay me down to sleep. Okay, Jesus, I'm really scared about my test today. Okay, Jesus, like... My girlfriend broke up with me, and I'm sad, right? Like, we kind of come to him with these kind of paltry, small pieces of what we had, but I always had this idea in my head that I just simply come to God, say, God, here's what I need, here's what I hope for, here's what I'm struggling with, bless my food, amen. Right? Anyone else? I'm here to tell you, my world radically changed whenever I actually understood prayer as dialogue, not monologue, yeah. dialogue. Because I thought, again, growing up, dear Jesus, thank you, here's what I need, amen. And that was kind of the framework I always had. And yes, the, the, the Lord's Prayer models this to us. There is our part, like, that we go to God and we talk to God. But the first two words give the whole story away. What are the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. One, it's not just about me, it's about the family of God. Our Father, not my Father. But secondly, our Father. Not transcendent, enthroned one above the cherubim that I can't even speak to. Not like the holy God in heaven that is so far above and beyond. Not, oh, I need to come up with all these eloquent, beautiful, poetic words because I'm on stage and I have a microphone. But Father, Dad, Papa, help me, please. That we draw near 
It is calling us to be intimate and close. Jesus was the very first rabbi to ever have the audacity to call God Father. No one else in history had done it until him. The invitation in prayer is a prayer that is saturated in relationship, intimacy, love, safety, compassion. And not only that, we oftentimes think that we need to be eloquent. We need to be smart. As a pastor, how many times have I said, hey, would you like to pray? And people go, no, I don't feel comfortable praying in public. That's okay. I get it. I understand. But I always come back to some of the best prayer advice I ever heard. If you ever want to know how to pray well, keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. If you do those three things, you are on a great trajectory of what prayer can be. And then, yes, there are all these beautiful, incredible, powerful words of seeing God, not only as Father, but also King. You know, Lord, you are holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom is moving. Your will is more important than my will. There is worship and honor and praise and adoration and glorification. But it all starts from a place of our Father. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus is like the realest dude that ever lived, right? Because what's the very next thing that he starts pivoting to? Like if Jesus, if God is our father, what do kids do? They start talking about what they need, right? And Jesus is like, that's okay. I want you to do that. The father actually wants you to do that, right? So we come to dad. Hey, dad, will you feed me my daily bread today? Will you forgive me? Because, man, I've messed up a lot. Will you go... Will, will you kind of help me and guide me and lead me? That we go to him and we make known to him what we need, his help, his guidance, his provision. And that oftentimes, at least for me growing up, is usually where I stop. I need your help. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I need, I need support. I'm not feeling great about myself. Will you forgive me? But there is a second part to a dialogue. Listening. And we see this all through Jesus' life. I, I started with the most famous Christian prayer in the entire Bible, the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus had many other prayers that he prayed because he was a Jewish rabbi. And probably the singular most famous Jewish prayer in the entire Bible comes from Deuteronomy 6, and it's called the Shema. Now, I love Hebrew and Greek. Are y'all okay learning a little bit of Hebrew today? All right, let's do this together. Can we throw that up? So repeat after me. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Elohinu. Adonai Achad. And you got to clear the throat. Adonai Achad. There you go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the most famous, the Shema. This is what people say as a Jewish person, you need to die with the Shema on your lips. That they would pray this multiple times, day in and day out. But do you catch what the very first word is? Shema means hear. Listen. Like the most famous prayer in the Bible, especially in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, starts with the invitation that we need to listen because God wants to talk to you. Do we get that? Do we understand that? But even in Jesus' life, not even looking at the Shema, we see this posture of him continually coming back to the Father, to realign to the Father and to listen to the Father. Mark, what I love, in Mark's gospel, he literally starts the story of Jesus with prayer. 
he shows Jesus as a praying person. Mark 135, and rising very early in the morning, I'm, I'm still working on that part, just alone. Like, we haven't even gotten to the hard part, right? While rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And now it doesn't say what Jesus heard. It doesn't say what Jesus, the conversation he had with the Father, but we see the fruit of it, and Jesus actually gives us a lot of kind of winks and like insights of what was actually happening in those moments. John 5, he kind of lets us in of what's happening. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Which makes sense, right? If God is inviting us to be his children, and he is calling us to recognize him as our father, and he wants to partner with us, like Karma said, of his kingdom expanding and taking territory on earth as it is in heaven, then this relationship kind of needs to be a two-way street, right? He wants us to come to him with our hurts, our pains, our needs, our struggles, our addictions, but then he also wants us to listen, to say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you show me your will? Will you show me your kingdom as on earth as it is in heaven? Will you show me your forgiveness on earth as it is in heaven? Will you speak to those places of shame and hurt and wounding and bitterness that I can experience the free and abundant life that Jesus came for, preached about, lived for, bled for, that I can experience the life everlasting that he actually said is available to me? How many of us pray, asking, God, will you forgive us? God, will you give me my daily bread? God, will you help me pay my bills? God, will you help my relationships? And yet, how many Christians can truly say they know the heart, they know the desires, they know what God is doing, they know what God is caring about? How many of us actually can say, I see what the Father is doing simply because we just don't listen enough? How many of us think, like, prayer is boring because we just flatten it out to a boring thing? Because <laughs> if, if we actually have available to us the way that Jesus lived, then what that means is that we are missing the part where we listen and we recognize the circumstance, the ability, the honor of what's happening, that we are starting a love affair with the creator of the cosmos that breathed the light into existence, literally said a single word and photons were invented, that the universe was invented by a word of his mouth, that the holy God of all people, of all places, of all things is inviting us to know him as father and wants to actually take us on an adventure to experience, to taste and see that the Lord is good and to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And yet, for whatever reason, we still go, prayer's boring. Because we just simply are missing what he's inviting us into. This all happens whenever there's trust, when there's relationship, and when there's dialogue, right? For us to hear what God is calling us into, for us to say, I know 
what the Father's doing. I know what the Father's will is, and I'm going to be about it. I'm going to pour myself out for those things. That is way, I don't know about you, but that's way more compelling than just bless my food and that's the end of it, right? And as God has revealed to me time and time and time again, not only how he wants to be a father, but all the misconceptions I have of him as father, I, pregnant pause, all right, I have, um, I have learned more about God through my own parenting, through my own child. So I want to show you a picture of my beautiful daughter. This is my five-year-old Eliana, and she is just the joy of my heart. She, we literally call her Joy Bomb. She is lovely and magical and kind and generous, and also she can be just like a total punk sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> parents, it's okay, right? This is a safe place, all right? Like, love her, adore her, but Parents, raise your hand, or guardians, raise your hand if your kid does what my kid does, which oftentimes she comes out of bed, rat's nest still in her hair, like, you know, wiping the sleep out of her eyes, and she goes, hey, daddy, I want cereal. Anyone? Anyone? No, like, good morning, father. How did you sleep? <laughs> father, what is your heart, and may I align to your will and desires today? Lord, what are you, or your father, what are you excited about in this day? How are you doing? How may I partner with you as a family member? No, dad, I want that. Dad, I want food. Dad, come do this. Dad, come help me with that. And if I'm honest, it kind of bumps me out a little bit, right? Because I want a relationship. I don't want a dictatorship, right? But conversely, if I'm honest, there's sometimes I make myself out to be the dictator, right? Whenever I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm frustrated, we're running late, I oftentimes become a domineering and demanding father. Eliana, stop that. Eliana, pick up your room. Eliana, put away your dishes. Eliana, you got to brush your teeth, brush your hair. We got to go. We got to hurry. Come on, come on, come on, come on, right? And all I'm doing is squashing her little spirit and telling her that her desires, her needs, her will doesn't matter to me. What is healthy what is good? Dare I say what would cause us to flourish? Eliana, tell me about your day. What are you excited about today? Eliana, how much does dad love you? Do you know that? I just adore you. Eliana, you need to go to sleep now, sweetheart. Daddy, I pr just trust dad. I actually know what's going to actually make you feel good in the morning. Just trust me here, okay? And also, Hey, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can you give me some food? Can we make lunch together? Hey, Daddy, I hurt my knee. Will you, will you put a Band-Aid on it and just sit with me for a little bit? Hey, Daddy, I love you too. Let me tell you about the craziness of my day while I did sticker art. I don't know. <laughs> but that, again, God has designed us to reveal his glory, right? That if we, in the same way, God is not our divine genie. He is not our heavenly butler that we just snap our fingers and he needs to do what I ask and then I can move on with my busy schedule. And likewise, I don't know if you know this family, but God doesn't want to be an overbearing parent. He doesn't want you to be an automaton with no desires of your own, no pain of your own, no will of your own. He's not inviting us to be slaves. He's inviting us to be his children. So I'm going to get a little bit 
vulnerable here. I, I was praying this morning, and I was doing listening prayer, because again, if I'm preaching on listening prayer, I can't talk about it. I got to be about it. And I felt very clearly the, the Lord gave me a word for this community, and so I'm going to share it and submit it to you. I felt very clearly the Spirit of God just kind of whispered to me, some people here don't know that they can be sons and daughters, and they have settled for being orphans. And let me say, if that's you, I get it. I've struggled with that a lot of my life. Right, Because the, the son, the daughter, they know they belong. They know there's a bed for them. They know that they can kind of misbehave and they're not going to get kicked out. They know that this is a safe, warm, loving, compassionate environment that wants to cultivate and cause their flourishing. An orphan, what do they do? They slip in the back door. They eat the scraps. They don't want to make a mess. They don't want to kind of mess things up because they're scared they're going to get kicked out. And I tell you, I have lived so much of my life, as much as I said, I'm a son of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a son of God. Somewhere deep inside of me, I still had this orphan identity. God, I gotta, I gotta make amends. I gotta make sure I don't rock the boat too much. I gotta, I gotta be good and have all the things together. I gotta look like a pastor, at least the best I can, right? Like, I, I probably don't look like the quintessential pastor, but like, I gotta, I gotta slip in through the back door of the church because if people really knew me and really knew kind of what's going on in my head, they would kick me out. They wouldn't, there's no way they would love me. And I've superimposed that fear on God. God, like, I know that I'm part of your household, but really, 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 like, I don't actually know if I mess up too much if you're gonna kick me out. And so let me just say, if that's you, if you've dealt with those spaces and those places of saying, do I actually belong? Do you actually love me? Do you actually care about me? Am I actually safe here? Or are you just angry and waiting for me to make a mistake so you can kick me out? Let me just tell you, you don't have to sneak in through the back door. You don't have to eat the crumbs. You don't have to feel insecure. In this house, we believe, I, I mean, I'm not the pastor here. You know, Bonnie can probably, Bonnie, why don't you attest it with me? But I truly believe in this house, we want nothing more than for the people to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? For come and see that the blood of Jesus doesn't ever run out and that he is always, always, always willing to continually cover and call you back to the redemption path that you're on. And so I just believe that in my heart because, again, I have fallen trap after trap into that space of not actually believing that I actually belong, but believing I got to earn my keep. Romans 8 has been a passage that I've continually come back to. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Do you hear the, what Paul's doing here? 
You're not a slave. You're not an orphan. You don't have to be scared. You're a child. You belong. You get to cry, Abba, Daddy, Father, and he will actually run to you. He is with you. He is for you. And if you have that, then all the richness, all the glory, all the power that is available to Christ, we now get to be co-inheritors with him. That's way, way, way more compelling than, you know, bless my food. (laughs) Sorry to come back to it, but you can bless your food. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's like looking at a, it's like looking at a masterpiece painting and only looking at the corner, right? We're invited to a way richer environment than that. All right, I got to keep going. Oh, my goodness. So we get to come to him. We get to tell him what's going on. We get to tell him we're hungry. We get to tell him where we need help. But then we listen. We receive forgiveness. We hear his delight. We hear our value and identity, not as orphans, not as slaves, but as sons. And if sons, then we are valuable. That who can actually say that you're unlovable if the creator of the universe loves you? He's inviting us. Like, hear me, family. And we need to know also that he is inviting us to first just stop and be with him before we do anything for him. He doesn't need us to work our way like he's angry. We got to like earn our, you know, earn our keep before we can actually come to him. Like he is actually inviting us just to come and be with him. And then after that, when we listen, when we like taste and see that the Lord is good, oftentimes he will call us to do something. And that is where the second part, prayer as activation, Because again, the Lord's Prayer, what's it say? Forgive us our debts. What's the next line? As we forgive our debtors. Which tells me a few things. One, part of this prayer means I get to be an active participant of fulfilling the will of God in the world. Not only that, that also should really cause me to pause at how often I hold on to bitterness. How, How often I hold on to unforgiveness. Forgive me my debts as, you, as I forgive others tells me that if I don't forgive others, I'm not experiencing the fullness of the forgiveness and the grace of God available to me, right? We are not called to be containers of God's grace. We are called to be conduits of God's grace. As he forgives me, I get to forgive others, right? And this shows us that if we, that this isn't just about receiving and sitting, but actually being activated and going and doing, and so let me be clear. Again, the call first is to be, to listen, to be with God. But in, in, our, in our overworked culture, oftentimes we try to work for God rather than being with God. We try to work for God rather than just simply being with God. And take it from me as a pastor that regularly falls into this trap. It is a poor, poor poor substitute. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have actually been working, working, working for the church. And then I stop and I pray. And God, not judgmentally, just goes, hey man, been a while since we talked, and I just went, ah, yep, you're right, I've been more busy about working for you than actually just like being with you, and we all do it, man, right, we all do it, our calendars are busy, our lives are busy, our jobs are stressful, and it's so easy to fall in the trap of trying to work our way to make God happy, rather than actually knowing he's happy, and then being sent on what he wants, But when we are being with him and he tells us to do something, our, our rightful response is to rise up and obey. Because Jesus, what did he say? The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. And like, I love this because do you know what the Greek means for the word doing? 
It means doing. Right? Like it actually means, it means activity. It means action. It means movement. It's actually doing the thing that God's asking you to do. What it actually means is taking your faith and putting it into action and making those two things fit. Jesus did what he saw and heard the Father doing, and I think we are invited into the exact same process. But I think we have a hard time with it because in our, like, I think it's a human condition problem that oftentimes for me, I have a hard time connecting my intentions with my actions. Stop me if you've ever felt this way, where you've been in church and you thought, man, great sermon, right? I've even done this, right? I go up to the pastor, man, pastor, you really like, oh, you stuck it to me, man. That was great. Man, the spirit was moving. Oh, I'm so convicted. You like completely taught me something new. And then I go and I eat some pizza and I'm in a food coma and you ask me, what was the sermon about? And I can't tell you a single word. Anyone? Yeah, right, right. Why is that? Is because oftentimes we keep the sermons in our thoughts and I don't know about you, but my thoughts kind of drift a little bit. That, you know it was good. Yeah, there you go. That's fair. You're like, it was good. It was meaningful. I don't know how meaningful, but it was something, right? I mean, but this is the difference between us and God, right? God, when he speaks, when he intends something, he immediately acts. He says, let there be light. And what happens? Light happens. Yet whenever I speak, I oftentimes don't follow through. And it breaks my heart as a pastor when people... Uh, they either overact for God or they underact for God, right? Like, karma, you know, like overfunctioning, underfunctioning, under right? Where someone's stuck in a rut and they're either trying to work out, like, salvation and trying to do all the hard work and trying to, like, pull themselves up by their bootstraps or they, like, kind of underfunction where they're, like, come to me and they're like, man, pastor, I need your prayer. And I'm like, okay, okay. And they're like, I have this bitterness, I have this anger, I have this unforgiveness towards this person. And I'm like, cool, okay, yeah, I, I get it. And, and I say, okay, uh, is this person a safe person? And they're like, yeah, no, the, yeah, there's nothing like that between us. I just have this bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm like, cool, what have you been, like, have you reached out to that person? And they're like, no. I'm like, what have you done? Well, I'm coming to you. I'm like, well, I mean, great, but like, Maybe the next step is actually reaching out to the person, having some courage, and actually telling them, I forgive you, even if your emotions don't feel like it, right? I have these people who come to me, and they're like, man, pastor, I have this addiction, and like, oh, I've just been dealing with this addiction for years, and I can't somehow shake it, and I go, okay, okay, yeah, no, I get it, you know, I used to be an addict, I, I understand, I've dealt with addiction too, tell me, like, uh, what are you doing about it? And they're like, well, I just prayed about it the last week or two, and I'm like, okay, cool, who's, who's in your corner? Who's your support group? And they're like, uh, haven't, got, haven't even thought about that. You know, and I go, my guy, it, you're not going to get very far down addiction if you don't have people praying for you, supporting you, holding you accountable, being with you in the process. Oftentimes, I say all this to say, we need to embody our prayers, right? And there are two sides to this. Many times, God asks us to do crazy things. In the Bible, he asks people to do crazy things. Do you know what we call those? Miracles. It's not just like, hey, pray a little bit, and I'm going to supernaturally move. Sometimes he does that. But also, like, Israel had to not pray in their hearts around Jericho. They had to march and sing and scream and blow horns, right? They had to embody their prayer. 
Naaman didn't just have to pray in his heart for God to forgive him. He had to go dip himself in a stinky river seven times to be healed of leprosy. Elijah had to put water on an altar for fire to come down from heaven. Moses had to throw his staff and be terrified to talk to, to Pharaoh to free his people. The lame man, tore uh, his friends tore a hole in the roof and lowered him down so that he could be healed. Heck, Jesus took fish and bread to feed people. Like, have you ever thought, like, he could just say, you're fed and your stomachs would be full. But he didn't. He took physical representations. I, I say that to say, I think sometimes our faith, we think it's in our heads and our hearts. I have my theology, and I have my emotions. But our faith is also about hands, right? Embodying, acting, living out what God is calling us to, to live out and to work out our salvation. So I'm not, hear me, I'm not telling you to tear the roof off this building. Tyler would be very upset with me if I told you that. I'm not telling you to go to, like, some shop that you don't like in Blaine and, like, blow a horn and march around it, right? Not a, probably not a good look. But I say that to say that there are these spaces where these activities where we need to hear a sermon or hear something or read the scriptures and go, I need to embody this now before it slips. What does it mean to offer forgiveness? What does it mean for me to raise my hands in worship? And we'll get in that in a second. What does it mean to care for others? What does it mean for me to actually fully bring my whole self to bear on what God is calling me to? But there's this other side of activation, and that's embodying our prayers to keep going, right? Like Karma said, there is a spiritual war going on, and sometimes one quiet prayer, God can supernaturally break through. I know many, many people that have prayed one single prayer, and God has healed them and done crazy, amazing, wonderful things. A lot of times he doesn't do it that way, though. There are such things as petition, as contending, as actually bringing my full self to bear on actually seeing the will of God fulfilled in my day, right? This is where fasting comes from. It's saying, I'm not going to eat food to bring my full body and experience to focus on God's will being lived out and fulfilled today. Where we embody, not through obedience and response, but by continuing to seek the Lord's favor and breakthrough. Because fasting, contending, petition, all of this is just really just saying, how do I bring my full attention on what God you want to do and actually coming to you over and over and over? I mean, Jesus talks about fasting like it was a regular thing. Do you know, through most of the church history, fasting was done twice a week, every week. That meant you, you ate five days a week. And we wonder why we don't see as many miracles nowadays. I just say that to say, oftentimes they did it as a, as a, just as a practice that we, I'm going to take two days out of the week to focus myself on hearing the Father's will and actually being about my Father's business. And yet so often we are busy and overfed and tired and over-entertained and we can't be bothered with God's will. And I say that because oftentimes what comes for me whenever I fast, it's usually whenever I'm desperate, right? Like someone has cancer, something's bad, and I'm like, God, I need you. And so I use this as like the final escape lever, right? And, and I love this because Jesus isn't, he doesn't condemn that. He's like, that's okay too. When you're desperate, it's okay, right? Luke 18, the persistent widow, I don't have time to unpack it, but he basically says, this widow annoys the king to where she finally gets her, her way. And, and Jesus is like, hey, if you need to annoy God a little bit, have at it, you know? I'm like, okay, I'll annoy God, you're right? I'll, I'll do that. Famous passage. I mean, if you, if you grew up in church, Philippians 4, 6, right? 
Do not be anxious about ever anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These sound so poetic and beautiful, like supplication and prayer, right? It sounds like these really holy moments. Do you know what supplication means in Greek? Beg. To beg. To plead. So this isn't this like squeaky clean Christianity. Make your prayers and supplication. This is like on your knees. God, I need you. I'm falling apart. I'm bringing everything to bear of I need your will to be done in my life. That's a very different image than the kind of squeaky clean way that we usually read the Bible. See, what, and the point of this all is, is not like, the activity is not the point. God is always the point, right? Fasting means we abstain for food, but it more means, more importantly, that we are feasting on God. Yes. Forgiveness is abstaining from bitterness and judgment, but it's feasting on God's mercy. Yes. Raising your hands is abstaining from comfort and security and fitting in in church, but it's feasting on God's goodness and worthiness and our unfettered worship because he is deserving of everything. These are all outworks expressions of an utter dependence upon the presence of God beyond the sustenance of food, comfort, judgment, or anything else we overly rely on. So, here's the deal. Do you want to connect with God? Yes. Then talk with him. <laughs> Do you want to hear from God? Yes. Then shut up and don't talk quite as much, right? And listen, um, <laughs> Do you want to supercharge your prayers? then find ways in which you can bring every distraction into bear with who God is, and fasting is a great way to do it. Do you want to be used by God? Then obey what he says when you listen to him. Rise up and obey, because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living within you and available to you. And so we've been talking about embodying faith, and I got a confession to make, because this all sounds probably... Oh, I don't know if it sounds good to you, but to me, I sound like I'm doing okay. Um, okay, good, thanks. All right, thanks, Carmen. But you're a friend, so you'd always say, ah. I gotta be honest. As a pastor, I don't always want to show up to church. As a pastor, I don't always want to sing at church. That's why I sit on the front row, because I don't want to hear anyone singing, me singing, right? Because, like, if I was sitting back there, y'all be like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? You know, like, a cat's being murdered behind me. I don't always want to sing. I don't always, I show up frustrated, exhausted, tired, worn out, distracted. I show up to church in every situation, every mental space that you do. And some of y'all are probably way holier than I am. But then I have to remind myself, okay, why am I showing up to church? It's not to hear a sermon. It's not to hear some music. It's not to hear announcements. It's not even to meet up with my friends. I am coming to church to encounter the presence and the power of the living God. I'm coming to boldly approach the throne of grace and once more ask for more grace to make it through another week. And so if that's my focus, and if my emotions are crummy, then here's what I have to do. When music starts, I have to make a choice. Am I going to embody my faith even if my emotions aren't there or not? Right? So here's the deal. Like if I'm listening to a song, and let's say this is my chair, and the song's playing, and I'm just sitting here with my hands folded, and I'm just kind of like, and I'm just kind of ready for the sermon to start, or maybe y'all are ready for the sermon to end. I don't know, you know? <laughs> like, how, how, how aligned are my affections to the truth of God? Right. My attention, my affections are kind of scattered, right? Okay, let's say I stand up, and maybe I got my cup of coffee, like we do in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm kind of just like sitting here, and I'm kind of listening, like, okay, like, 
my affections maybe are, are starting to align a little bit because I'm starting to embody my faith that God's at least maybe worthy to stand up for every now and then, right? Then what happens then if I maybe still have my hands in my pockets, but maybe I close my eyes and I just start going, okay, God, can you, can you help? I had a tough week. I'm worn out. And so I'm going to sing this song. Can you just, can you help? Can you show up? What's happening now? My affections are starting to align. My attention's starting to focus in. And then what happens, dare I say, if I do this? It's wild, right? But what am I doing? What I'm doing is I am actually putting my body in a posture to where my soul can align to the truth of God. Right? Because here's the deal. Our bodies can't do anything that our souls remain unaffected from, right? That's why sex, drugs, porn, all these things are so powerful because we, we are not disembodied souls. Our bodies connect to our souls. So whenever I do this, even if I'm frustrated, even if I'm angry, even if I'm upset, even if my kid was acting crazy on the way to church, I can come to him and say, this is what you're deserving of. And what I found time and time and time again is my emotions, my will, my thoughts, my soul begin to align in the posture that I've put myself in. So fasting, prayer, listening, forgiveness, releasing bitterness, inner healing, all of these spaces are us saying, I am going to stop and listen. Then I'm going to put my whole body in alignment with what you want. All right, so what do we do? I can't ask you to fast because I don't know. Y'all probably feel like y'all have been fasting while I've been preaching. So, uh, but we can't fast in five minutes. So here's what I want to do. I want to guide y'all through a prayer, a, a prayer called listening prayer. And this is all through church history. This comes from the contemplative tradition. 